You have the curse buster? Yeah. And actually, if I show you this picture here. Yeah. That's him swinging. That's him swinging it. That's... Hit the triple. And I have that bat right here behind me. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode here on Youth Inc. The sports world, there, there is a lot going on right now. Um, the Olsen sports world is kind of coming to a little bit of a transition here in the summer. Uh, we have the College World Series. We got uh, PGA Golf. We got PGA Golf fighting with Live Golf. Um, we, we got, we had the Stanley Cup last night. I mean, we, we got a lot going on. Um, so a little update on the Olsen youth sports uh, circuit. My nine-year-old son, his travel baseball team just ended their spring slash summer season. They had a, a really good season. Um, we made a ton of progress. This group of boys, we put together a team last August. We did a small little abbreviated fall season. And then we just came back for what was a pretty long, a pretty long, you know, um, season considering they're nine. So that, that was fun. We wrapped up, we lost a heartbreaker in our final game. We actually played up in the 10 U division and we played a pretty good 10 U team and we lost 10 to nine. We fell down eight to zero and we climbed all the way back. We had a kid hit two home runs over the fence, which was the most exciting moment of the season, probably for nine-year-olds. And, um, we ended up having the tying run on third base and we couldn't quite get him in. So that was a, a successful, that was a fun year with a bunch of young kids that are really learning baseball. My older son, Tate, he is gearing up. We just got back from Georgia. I know the last time Last episode, um, I was in my hotel room in the midst of that tournament. We made it to the finals and they lost. That was a nationwide tournament. Teams from all over the country, 66 teams in our 10U age group. And um, the kids made it all the way to the finals. We lost to a really good team out of Georgia in the championship. So that was a good showing coming in second out of 66 teams. And now this next week or two, we are gearing up for what is the perfect game invitational. It's the, that is the biggest youth baseball tournament in the country. Uh, only the top teams who qualify are invited to come down to Florida. It's in Sanford, Florida. So we are driving down there after 4th of July weekend, and that will be the end of summer baseball for the Olsen. So as bittersweet as that is, we are ready for a little summer break of kind of vacation and, and take a deep breath from what's been a very long baseball season. My daughter's soccer season is over. She's doing some camps and whatnot. So we have a lot going on. And for any of you who have a kid who is playing travel baseball, you know, the name of our, our next guest today's guest, Jack Marucci, um, the LSU director of athletic training, but he's also the founder of Marucci, the, the brand, the bats, the clothing, the equipment, the gear that every single ballpark in the country, the kids are outfitted in the gear with Jack's last name on it. And to be able to catch up with him and tell the story of not only creating this bat and a shed in his backyard for his eight-year-old son um, and building that while he was a athletic trainer, he was working at, um, he worked at Florida state. And then of course now at LSU and through some of those baseball contacts, he was able to launch this, this bat company into a multi-million dollar brand that he eventually was able to sell. So it's a really cool story. I mean, his impact on youth sports from the equipment scene to the training, um, he just, he has a really cool story to tell. So as, as I said, today's guest is Jack Marucci. This episode of you think is presented by Xmark. Xmark makes the official mower of the backyard life and is the brand that more landscape pros trust. Now, listen, I, I am not a great landscape guy at the house. I'm not the guy mowing his lawn, but I am the guy 
three, four times a week at our little church field in Charlotte that I rent for our baseball teams. I am sitting on an X mark radius, zero turn mower for the last year and a half. And it saves my life before that. I would hold the drags, you know, like those big metal grates and I would hold the drags and I would pull them around the field like a mule. You know, I would just carry, I would just walk in circles to drag the field after we water it and make sure it's, especially in the summer when it's dusty and hard. So having this X mark mower, being able to, to drag the field, edge the grass, you know, keep the grass in the outfield good, keep the lip between the dirt and the grass down so the kids don't catch bad bounces. It has made my entire life way easier running our baseball program. So thank you so much to Xmark for sponsoring today's episode. So now please enjoy this conversation with LSU Director of Athletic Training and the founder of Marucci Sports, Jack Marucci. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode here on You Think. Today, we got a real treat uh, for any of you who has a child who is participating in baseball on the summer circuits. I know I have two boys that are out there. There are chances that your garage is filled with the last name of our next guest. It is a brand that is synonymous with baseball and, and the travel scene and everywhere you go from little kids all the way up to the highest level of Major League Baseball. Today, we are honored and thankful to be joined by the founder and the namesake of Marucci brand, um, Jack Marucci. Jack, thank you so much for, for joining us uh, here today on, on you think. Well, you know, it's my honor really, because I think, you know, the youth sport and youth market, you know, you know, it it means a lot to us and meant a lot to me, you know, with my son. So I I think this is a great platform. And, and again, I'm very humbled uh, to be, uh, on, on your podcast. Thank you. Of course. Well, like, like I said, I mean, my, my kids have Marucci bat bags. I I think I told you on the phone, one of the organizations that my son plays with here in, um, in Charlotte, they're, they're all their uniforms and everything are Marucci, but one of the older level teams is like a national Marucci sponsored team. They travel all over the country. There's kids from all over the country. They're based out of Charlotte and, uh, they're the, the national Marucci elite 12 year old team. So it's, it's just pretty cool now to to speak with you. And before we get into the history, because I want you to tell our viewers, you know, your son Gino and making his bat when he was eight years old playing little league. But before we get into that, I think it's important for everyone to kind of frame the context of not only what you did, but first who you are and your backstory and your, and your, your background. Um, Before we got on, you just talked about getting an an honorary doctorate from West Virginia, which is close by to where you grew up. Um, I just want to take everyone back to, to your background as an athletic trainer, your time, not only at Florida state, but then of course the long time, at LSU, um, and just kind of give our viewers a little perspective on on the backstory before Jack Marucci was Batmaker, Jack gotcha. Marucci, who is involved in sports at every level. Well, it, it's funny you say that because it, I've kind of lived multiple lives in this in this sporting world. Um, you know, I, I grew up uh, in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, which is a coal mining town. Um, you know, family of immigrants. My mom was eleven, came from Spain. Um, my father's side uh, from Italy, so you know they they came there to work in the in the, in the coal mines. So we're, we're from pretty humble beginnings, and you know I think it's a it was a great place to grow up when you look back. And and then I went to West Virginia, you know, uh, for school for athletic training. It was one of the top schools uh, at the time. Them and Purdue were probably the two top schools in the athletic training world. 
And it was funny, it wasn't that far from the house, but we never went down to West Virginia because we always focused on Pitt and Penn State. And uh, again, it wasn't that far. The first time I was on campus um, was orientation. So I finished there. We had great teams. We had Jeff Hostetler. We had, you know, Daryl Talley, Turnbull. We had some good teams. So being exposed to good quality, high competitive players, um, I've been very fortunate. Then I went to grad school at uh, University of Alabama. Now, that was a different culture shock for me because of the, just, it was a language barrier. Let me say that. So Ray Perkins was the coach. Um, we, uh, I'll never forget the first time I went in there and, and, and looking for him in the locker, in the locker room. I drove all the way from Western PA and he's looking at me and uh, he said that he, he looked at me and goes, can I hip you? Just like that. I go, can you hit me? I'm thinking, why is this guy talking about my hips? And he said it again. And I'm getting frustrated because I don't know what he's, you know, he's, he's pretty intimidating, big, tall guy, you know, glaring at you with those blue eyes. And he said it again. Can I hip you? I said, I, I don't understand. Here I am touching my, I'm thinking, what are you talking about my hips? So I just turned around and walked out. One of the other coaches came out there with me and goes, why didn't you answer coach? I said, I, I, I didn't know what he was saying. He, he was saying, can he help you? I said, well, it didn't sound like that to me. <laughs> said, That's amazing. That's so that good. was my first contact in Alabama. I never knew what Oprah was. So spent so two good. great years there. Um, went to so Tampa, good. worked some internships with the Buccaneers with Coach Perkins. Also did a little bit the year they started the dog pound in 1985 with the Cleveland Browns. And uh, so I was on my way with football. Then I went to Florida State, worked with Co- Coach Bobby Bowden. And those were the years that, you know, Florida State was so competitive. We had such good you know, players. That's when I started noticing, you know, why did we win that year? You know, what I know we had good players, we had good players a lot, but we had the Derek Brooks, we had um, Charlie Ward, we had Ward Dunn. And they, those were men of character. So I start making mental notes. Okay. Maybe it was just a fluke. So then I came uh, to LSU in 97. That's where I was the director of the sports medicine program. Then I started looking at when we won 03. Well, it looked very similar to that Florida State team in 93, the the players, Matt Mock. Um, We looked at, you know, the quality players, Justin Vincent, uh, Marcus Spears. Um, So we start seeing this pattern, these players. So in 07, same thing. Then in 19, same thing. So that's when we start. I, t- I took my experiences and tried to quantify these these teams that won these championships with these young men. And what I did notice is that based off the character, the mental processing, now we have some tangible things and we were smart up the middle. These were tangible things that we knew that, that, that produced a, a championship team. That's why the character starts when you're young. And I think you see it on, on these levels. Obviously, Yourself, you, you've had an unbelievable career. I bet you if you look back, the successful teams you had, it was people with similarities as far as character, mental processing. Look, we have to have talent. And, and I, I know that's one of the most, you know, important things, but we look past the talent. That's when we say look under the hood of the car. Let's, let's see what is, you know, after you identify it. All right. These are the guys that we like. Now let's see if we can find these other pieces. That's why we were talking about the grid earlier. We're trying to quantify that even more so. I think 
that's so important. So my experience is all the way up to, to from the athletic training piece was was with football. Now in 2002, um, my that's when my son wanted a baseball bat, and then I called. Man, I must have called four or five companies, and Louisville Slugger was probably the last one, and none of them made it short enough that he could use it. <clears throat> when you're talking bats, every inch, even in the big leagues, really matters. And so trying to find a bat that <clears throat> really that he could swing. And <laughs> so, you know, I said, you know what? I had woodshop back in eighth grade. I, I think I remember how to use it. Okay, here I go. I'm getting brave again. So I went down. It's when Harbor Freight became, they just came out and it, 88 bucks. Okay, I can buy this. I'll, I'll cut him a couple bats and that'll be it. So sure enough, I, I cut his bats and he, he was playing Little League with it. And uh, he was a good hitter and he's hitting the ball. So everybody on his team, his parents thought that was cool. Sound but now, real, real quick, I don't want to interrupt. Is he the only yeah. one using a wooden bat? Yes, or is everybody using one. a wooden bat? Because I, I just think no, it's important no, no. for he, people he, to know, like, at you go to a little league game, you go to a youth baseball game, no one's using wooden bats, right? And if you're using no. a wooden bat, you are, you know, the wooden bat and a, and a composite or a metal or a two-piece, whatever you want to call it, they right. are apples and oranges as far as young kids hitting them. So I think it's important for everyone to understand, here's this eight-year-old who's now showing up and he's got a wooden bat and to everyone else at the park, he's an alien. He's an alien. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think that's important for everybody to kind of hear. He's an alien. Exactly. And because um, the biggest thing, the sweet spot's only half the size. Because on metal bats, it's almost double. So it allows you. So you have to be pretty precise. And so he uh, <clears throat> was a pretty good hitter. He yeah. started hitting the ball. And, and look, I thought it was neat. You know, I can make my son bat. So yeah. So, so real quick, go. So talk to us about how that process works. So your kid wants a bat and right. you call around. No one makes a small enough bat for an eight year old to right. swing for anyone who's held a wooden bat. They're very top heavy. The weight is not as evenly distributed. It's hard for young kids to, sw to swing them, whatnot. So you make your, you make one in the backyard. You get, you know, in your, right. in your workshop, I actually saw some videos online of your shed. It was super oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, Talk to me about like, how do you go about sourcing the wood, sourcing right. the shape, the specs? Like, where did you bit, like, where did you teach yeah. yourself all of that? The elements of that, that now, you know, fast forward your rival with Louisville slugger. Like how, right. how did you I, educate yourself on that? I educated my, I got a degree in Google and I got a master's, I think in YouTube. <laughs> I, I mean, I would, I would search. I would talk to even guys with, with physics, vibrations of wood and yeah. things that, I felt like mattered and, and, but my first bat, which I have right behind me, um, it looked awful. It was, it was terrible. And I brought it into Matt mock at the time. Yep. He played for the Cubs for three years, minor leagues at the lug nuts. He was our quarterback. And I said, Matt, take a look at this thing. I know it doesn't look good, but so we, he said, well, let's taper a little bit more. So he was probably my biggest connection in the training room from a football standpoint that had baseball <clears throat> knowledge. So I went back and I recut another one. I'd bring it in. Okay. Now, now we're getting on, but I tell you, I, I picked up the lathe pretty quick again, because I even talk about teaching today. It, it's an applied learned piece. You know, I, in our high school, they teach, they taught us how to sew, how to type, which we use for computer skills. Those things that were applied 
that you do that stay with you. So I remember how to use the wood lathe. So I, again, it didn't take me too long to start getting the pattern down. I knew on young kids, I had to have a better balanced bat. Like you, you said, we, we don't need the top heavy bat. We need something to di- distribute the, the weight and wood bats are going to be a little heavier. Now, when, once you hit it, the ball would travel pretty far because yep. it has mass behind it. Yep. So he's, you know, a little heavier or bat, but I was able to balance it. So that's where I came up. I think there's still a model on the wood. It's called the GM 21. Uh, it was my son's initials. And I always took a, Clem, Roberto Clemente was a guy that I followed and, you know, appreciated his career. So my son wore 21. So that became that model. So, you know, just tinkering with it. And, and I'd, I'd listen to an eight-year-old t- tell me, you know, tell dad if it feels too heavy, tell dad if it's, you know, too top heavy and, and until we spec'd it right out. And, and I thought, you know, there wasn't any, again, at the time, there was no wood bat tournaments. There was nothing in the yeah. wood line. I mean, it was strictly metal. Then we started, a, we created a, uh, there was a, a new ballpark and we had the first wood bat tournament. And, and, and people really loved it. They loved the sound. They loved the, you know, um, just the, you know, you weren't looking for a piece of equipment just because, all right, my eight-year-old's going to buy this expensive bat and go and hit with it. Um, you know, it, 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 it was very fulfilling for me too, to watch him play with something I made. I bet. And, um, so the, the rest of the kids on the team wanted the bats, right? So now, okay, here I am, I'm spinning these bats and, and, and creating this <clears throat> little bit of a business now. And, and that's where kind of the business bloomed out of there. Then my next relationship, gave me another opportunity was Eduardo Perez. And I tell you, I give him a ton, a ton of credit. Um, You know, I knew him from Florida State. His dad is Tony Perez. Yep. And Eduardo, man, you could say he's probably one of the best MLB announcers now. He's worked way into it. And he was a player for us at Florida State. And I always liked him. He was just a good person. And I love, you know, stories we just kind of clicked on all facets so on my athlete training we had to get these continuing ed credits so we had to go we had conventions one this one was in st louis i'll get a couple of tickets for the game i'll take a couple of our you know our assistants and enjoy you know day at the ballpark and, and when i asked for the tickets he just said what are you doing i said i'm making some bats he goes you're going what i said yeah i'm making some bats i made them for my son gino he goes i tell you what bring me a couple this is the model I want. Because matter of fact, I'll meet you right in front of the hotel when you pull up. So he tells you how big to make it, the barrel. The, yes. He gives you all the specs. He gave me all the specs. Okay, so you Everything. go back, you make them. So I go back and make them. I made them two, I believe. And look, I'm not licensed at this time. So the logo's really big. I, I didn't know all these regulations. Logo's big. I, I made this logo in Photoshop one morning. And I got, you know, I... I, I Got his name off the, uh, got his name off the internet, his signature. Yeah. I, and I, I made a decal out of it and I have a bone on it. It says bone rubbed. So he meets me in front of the hotel and he's looking at it and going, my God, this thing feels so good. He goes, I think I'm going to sneak it in the game tonight. I said, Eddie, I've only seen seven and eight year 
you know, old kid use it. It may blow up. I'm, I'm seriously, I'm thinking it's going to blow up if he hits it with an adult, nonetheless a major league player. So <clears throat> he goes, better yet, I want you to meet a couple guys. Come down for batting practice. He introduced me to Albert Pujols and Barry Larkin. It's a good start. Pujols, obviously, at the time, still a name in baseball, you yep. know, arguably the best player in the game. And uh, Eddie convinces him to give me one of his bats, so I'll copy it and I'll make him one. And Larkin goes, better yet, I want that model. We're playing in Houston next week. Can you bring me one? I said, all right. I said, that's, that's great. But meanwhile, in the third inning, he sneaks this bat in the game. He grounds out to Barry Larkin. And so Eddie becomes the biggest ambassador. I mean, you could hear him on ESPN. He's thrown out. He would just throw it out. You know, he's using a emergency bat. Or, so he became really, uh, uh, you know, the word of mouth. And I really believe word of mouth is so powerful yep. because, you know, you don't, it's, you're not a salesman. And if, it, if it's a good product, then it takes off. So as the year goes on, He's telling me how he's got a hit. He hit one off a of Nomo and, and these neat stories he's sharing. And he goes, you're going to have guys start calling you now because they're seeing it. And, um, you know, right now it's contraband. He said, we, you know, we can't use it in the games. <laughs> we can't, we're sneaking everything in the games. So, That's amazing. Because you're going to get a call from Manny Ramirez. I said, all right. Uh, so we were playing Georgia. Manny called. I said, let me get back home. I'll make you some bats because Manny. So goes, you're still I, making these bats out of your shed. I'm still making them out of the shed. So you're I mean, making I, them for Pujols and Barry Larkin and, and you're yes. not into a shop by now. You haven't started. No. You're just making them in your backyard I, shed. I am making them literally out of the, out of the shed. And, <laughs> and you're just I buying mean, wood. You're just and, buying and, wood yeah, from distributors. Right, or? So the, wood, the wood supply came out of, the best wood comes out of Pennsylvania, New York, and I made contacts with people that I felt like made, you know, we called them billets. So <laughs> I, I made Manny three bats and I told him, I said, look, maybe you can use them in the cages, but if you guys go to the playoffs, that's going to be nationally televised. You're not going to be able to use these bats. Okay. Hang up. Sent the bats off. There was a player. The last player that touched those bats was Kyle Williams. He played for Buffalo, and Kyle was a big Red Sox guy. And he was all excited. And I remember in the training room, I said, all right, we're shipping them to Fenway Park. And he's swinging them in the training room. And, I mean, swinging them, like, as hard as he could. I'm thinking, man, <laughs> he's going to hit somebody. He's going to slide out of your hand in the training room. You're going to injure somebody. He goes, all right, I got my feel. Let's ship them off. So I'm watching the game. This so th this is 2004. They're playing the Yankees, and Manny's not using them. I said, "Good," but the shortstop is Orlando Cabrera's using these bats. I'm going, "Oh my god!" And you can see the logo as plain as day. <laughs> I said, "Man, we are going to get in some trouble. We're never going to make another bat." You know, I said they're going to shut the whole shed down, right? <laughs> the whole organization, that one shed. Yeah, one shed. So. Um, Cabrera's killing the ball. I mean, he's pow, pow. Fast forward, we always did a big event in the All-Star game. This was in Minnesota at the time. And I saw Cabrera. I said, man, weren't you nervous using those bats? 
goes, let me tell you something. I hit like 379. He threw out some number. He goes, that ball was coming off there like a rocket. He goes, there was no way I was going to, I didn't care if I got in trouble. I, I never felt a bat like this. And he goes, I wanted to order more. I just didn't know what this company was. I didn't know, you know, who, who was this company? And he goes, I remember the model was like a CB something. I said, the CB 24, that was Manny's number. And the CB was the curse buster to break the curse of the Yankees. And that's when the Red Sox, coincidentally, were down uh, three games, yep. came back, and they won. And it was wow. just a, a perfect scenario. Who has that bat? I have, I have the two here. I have, I have the two bats. You have the, you have form. the curse, you have the curse have, buster. Yeah, and actually, I, if I show you this picture here, yeah, that's him swinging. That's him swinging it, that's... hit a triple, and I have that bat right here behind me. That bat, <laughs> that bat could probably fetch a good, uh, a good yeah. penny. It, the part of the story that I just find you know, so fascinating is it, it really just came out of a love of the game, right? That a, a father right. and his son who yeah. shared a common love for baseball and a father trying to help his kid right. find a bat. And, and next thing, you, you know, 20 years later, we all know it now as this big yeah. international brand and our kids wear it on their cleats and their gloves and, you know, everything in between. But the part that I feel like is so authentic, right? Everything we talk about here about youth sports and the experience and everything is the family experience and the wholesomeness of it and just the lessons that it teaches. And here you are, you know, in essence, doing like a side hustle out of your garage. Little did you know that you were going to have Manny Ramirez using it in a world series and you were going to have Albert Pujols and all these premier guys using your bat that at the end of the day, you just made because it was something that was fun to do with your kid. Right. And, and Greg, I, I think you're right. And, and things stem from family and faith and all the things we talk about. And, you know, you never expect some things. And again, you never, I really appreciate the relationships I've had along the way. Mind you, Louisville Slugger had the market for a hundred years, over a hundred years. Nobody was able to, to, to get the market, especially in major league baseball. When you say these guys are holding your bat and they're willing to use a bat, that's technically not allowed. You know, they call it contraband in your words. Right. What about your bat made it so different? Louisville slugger have been making bats for a hundred years. Right. Why does Manny Ramirez want to use this unproven bat? He doesn't know anything right. about what, what is it about the way you made it in the shed that yeah. just made it special? Well, Greg, I think one thing I did and I, and I, say this today when we work with our players or any players, I listened to what the players wanted. First of all, I listened what type of wood, how much, like I said, the, the, the sound of the wood, the, the diameter, the, 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 the shape of the bat, all that mattered, the width of the, of the handle. And once I got to get full control on a CNC lay that really took it to another level because you had full control you know, if it was Chase Utley's bats and we had to tweak it maybe a half a millimeter or a millimeter, um, it allowed us to listen to what they had to say. Then our finish was completely different. Our finish was like furniture. I remember Raul Banyas and those guys would laugh and said, I don't want to use it. Look so good. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Said, when you hold the Marucci wood back, it's like shiny. It's smooth. Right. So that feels changed. Good. Yeah. Yeah. That changed the way bats were going to be, there, as you see today. Yep. We had this dark mahogany, we call it a cherry finish, which wasn't even licensed at the time in Major League Baseball, which is now. Um, I mean, they just could not believe how, how and, I, and in the detail, I would stamp the number on the, on, on the, on the knob 
personalize it. Eduardo goes, let's do a born on date. We put the day it was made. We put the exact weight. I vacuum sealed the bag so the moisture would not get in. So it was completely different. And I think this is, you know, and I had a relationship when they'd asked me to come in the clubhouse. I wasn't a salesperson. I'd been around athletics. So I, I loved hearing what they had. I listened. I listened really closely what they wanted. I listened to everything that they felt like they, because as Albert said, you know, I love my wife. I love my faith. And I love my bats. And maybe sometimes not in that order. He loved, <laughs> That's good. He loved, That's he loved great. He, and That's the best awesome. thing was, was the batting practice. You could hear the sound when I'd go to spring training and, and I, you know, right. I also would ask the clubhouse guys, give me your best character guys. I don't care if you're your best player. And it, it resonated with them because they still reminded me that today. But again, you know, you, you grow off of all those um, folks that you come in contact with, you, 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 you grow into that, you know, what I, I was exposed to the greatest hitters of the game. Yeah. And so that it, led to other things that I was able to do now, uh, you know, with all the eye stuff and, yeah. you know, well, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about that. Like when I hear you tell the, the Marucci story, it's a story of innovation. It's a story of, of forward thinking and all that. And, and Ed Ogeron, you, you referenced the, yeah. the 2019 national championship yeah. team that you were with in, uh, at LSU. And he said that you were quote, the most innovative trainer he's ever worked with and an integral part of building the culture of the LSU's championship program due to your ability to take cutting edge technology and use it to study performance and develop players. I mean, that's a pretty, when you hear that story, that sounds like what you did with the Marucci, with the bats and, and the brand there. But now let's come back to your quote unquote full-time job, right? Your, your right. day job that you've done for, you know, 30 plus years at the highest level. What is it about the innovation and the forward thinking that you apply now? I mean, we talk to a lot of, a lot of our viewers or family or parents of young athletes and coaches. What are these best practices of innovation now that you've been able to learn from this, you know, this other dual life of yours that now you apply on a daily basis in that training room to help develop these, you know, and still at LSU, these relatively young athletes. Yeah. I, so what I, like, like I, I shared a little bit, I was trying to, extract based off my experience where age can help you. Now age can be hindrance in some people because some people always say we've always done it this way. I said, once you hear that, you better run. Uh, Coach Orgeron allowed me to grow in that. He was probably one of the most innovative people I've, I've been around. He was with Pete Carroll and, and, and you know, yep. he, he referenced Jimmy Johnson. These guys, he took from them too to allow to grow into his coaching. And, any information I would give them, it, it was even when pro football focus wasn't even a big thing. We were already using it. You know, we we helped, we added stuff with pro football focus. Just looking at pieces that to me were a little bit more in the in the common sense side. But what Coach O did, he allowed me to grow because he wanted more and more information. Jack, I wanted to talk about so so much of a big topic in our world of youth sports, right? Especially when you talk about football, is not only, of course, injury prevention. You know, we have right. had a chance to meet with um with a with the orthopedic surgeon from hospital special surgeries about ACL recoveries and ACL re- preventative um you know measures in that regard. But then, of course, the big hot you know the the big big topic of today is the concussions. And I know you and your team yeah. have spent a lot yeah. of time studying concussions, both from a preventative and a recovery standpoint, along with the more orthopedic traditional injuries, right. ACL repair and whatnot. Like, what are what are the innovative practices that you guys are seeing now? there on campus that 
some of our listeners, coaches, parents can, can now allocate and start kind of bringing to their families of their young kids. So from a concussion standpoint, we, the NCA had a summit concussion summit. Uh, this is around 15, 16. I was, we were one of four presenters. I had sensors in the helmet. I wanted to look at location of the blow. I was looking at G-force and we were looking at rotational force. This is in camp. And we all know how camp was, you know, back in the day, they called it training camp because the players had to get in shape. And that's why it was kind of a rugged two-a-days. I mean, even when I was at Alabama, we had three-a-days. That's how how heavy it was. So was two-a-days still necessary from the hitting? and, And it was every other day in college. Well, we have to quantify. Well, here we go. We got to have something to collect the data. And so innovatively, um, at the time, it was called the Head Health Network. And Curtis Cruz was an engineer and created these devices that we can see at the end of practice and actually live when these guys would take a blow over a certain G or how many blows these guys were taking. Then I was going to model that with game, how many blows you take in a game. So I think concussions, what I saw over the eight years, um, um, I'm sorry, it was over 10 years, we saw about 75% were interior guys. So that'd be your tight ends, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, because it's repetitive blows. It's like a boxer taking shots. Yep. So it's like microtron. Okay. It's not usually that big, you know, hit, but it's over time. And we did some testing too with the S2 data that showed that the processing slowed down about um, two thirds into camp. Our control group were kickers and quarterbacks who didn't get hit. They maintained a higher level. Now, some of that obviously could be fatigue, so on and so forth. So our data showed, well, every practice that we had in camp was like a game maybe even a little more so. So you're playing two games in, in one day. Is that, is that, you know, a good thing? Answer is no. So when they saw that information, that really started to, the ball rolling to get rid of the two-a-days. That's why I think contact, uh, you have to limit it because over time. Now, we also looked at, okay, we're just going to go helmets. Well, the interior linemen still had about a third of the blows because they're still kind of, you almost have to take your helmet off. <laughs> of course. Off, I know. Right? Those were always you, the worst practices when you didn't have shoulder pads because the guy on defense was still going just as hard. They're just going as hard. That's yes. exactly right. Well, so we saw that. Well, the data shows that when you have a, a non-contact practice or even a walkthrough, you got to take the gear off if you're going to, if you're going to have a true non-contact. So, I think with kids, a lot of our players, and I, I really believe this, is that you don't have to start tackle football at, at such a young age. You don't. Um, you know, I, I think flag is good. I think, you know, it allows you to develop the game, but you're not taking those repetitive blows. And or people think, too, in any sport in youth, well, if they don't have the highest level of competition, they're going to get, you always hear the word, they're going to get passed up. Well, that is so false. And, you know, I, I think that with these kids that 
play even multiple sports. And there's just an article. I just got it today. It showed that all the quarterbacks who have had the highest quarterback rating, completion percentage, the most successful quarterbacks were multi-sport players. They were multi-sport. It just came out. It was in the uh, uh, American Journal of Sports Medicine. And it shows because I think what it does also, and, and Tom House says the same thing, the, the great yep. you know, um, guy who's taught pitching and throwing and, and mechanics and biomechanics, he talked about well, when you play multiple sports, it puts your body in different positions. So when you're in those different positions playing some of these sports, it's not foreign to you. So the injury numbers seem to go down. The other thing with parents have to understand, if your son or daughter's a late developer, I think that's another thing because you see these, sometimes these parents have the, the kids that are, are fully developed at 13, 14, and they're the better athletes. These kids shouldn't get discouraged because there are so many kids, so many that develop in a later time. When we did a study on in the NFL, we were looking at the average heights, weights. We, we broke down every active player that's active today in the NFL. And we looked at where they were from, where they grew up, where everything. It was unbelievable. Like conference, like offensive linemen were the ones that stuck out, stuck out more. There was a ton of them from like Indiana PA or, or these schools that, that weren't even in a huge conference, the Patriot or whatever, because they're late. You're usually late developers. We noticed that in our data too, that there's a ton of kids that, like a John LeGlue that's with the Steelers and played a two. Why didn't we recruit him here? Well, he probably weighed 260. He was a two or three star. Well, he's a late developer. Yeah, the projection of young kids is always so difficult. Yes. Right, and that yeah. and that's where the, the youth sports model gets so shaky is we are trying to predict future development, future growth, future maturation, but we're trying to make the best 10-year-old team or the best 12-year-old team at the moment and if you knew what they were going to be like when they were 14, you would factor that into a lot of your decision-making now. Yeah. It's just, we don't have a lot of that data. So I think the fact that you guys are charting that and making it into a quantifiable ability to say, Hey, we're going to share this information. A lot of the information you've shared with us today, parents can listen to this and say, okay, my, my son or daughter may fall into one of these categories and I can make you know decisions as I see fit. So what would you tell so my kid's going to play tackle football for the first time this year. He'll be 11 um, come the fall in fifth grade. What would you, what would you say to parents like me whose kid? I mean, I, I know football. I grew up around it. My dad right. was my high school coach, but what would you say? Maybe I didn't play growing up or maybe, but my kid wants to play. Like what would be your biggest piece of advice? What would you tell parents knowing what you know about tackle football, the good and the bad, like what would be your advice to them as they kind of walked into this, this kind of new world? I think it's you got to find out who's coaching the kids first of all. Absolutely, is, that's why my kid is, hasn't played yet because I wouldn't have been around. Philosophy? Right, so you know what is their philosophy? What is their practice philosophy? What is their expectations? Really, it's all going to be dictated from that coach because that's where the experience comes from. And youth coaching is a challenge. It, Finding it good coaches is a challenge. Being a youth and, coach is a challenge. Right. And I think that's where, what, what is this coach? What, show me how you want to practice these kids. You're going to practice every day or yep. how much they're going to be wearing the pads, how much contact they're going to have. 
what is your expectation in, you know, as far as in game? I mean, all that should matter, especially at 11. And, you know, if the philosophy is like in some of these baseball teams, like you just said it, like win now and, and you know, we're going to create this, you know, atmosphere of, of, of you know, just a grinding and, and, and like you're trying to win a championship when you're 11 or 12. No one's really going to care about it. They aren't. I know at the moment that we all care about that. And look, I, I said it sometimes it's conditional love. I've seen parents, if their kid did well that week, they are as at work, they're as happy as can be. If they did bad over the weekend, then they're they're in the they're in the doldrums. And so I think it's all about expectations. And I wouldn't recommend a program that again, from from the what we know from contact, you know, look, you have to have some contact to get used to the game. We get it. But I think that's got to be monitored within the right um, guidelines. Yeah. So well, you said it. I mean, a big, yeah. I mean, a big yeah. part of why my kid hasn't played, he's wanted to play for years. And, and my concern was while I was playing, you know, I wasn't going to be around and whether, whether or not I was actually going to coach or not, just to be at practice, <laughs> to observe, to watch who's running everything you just said is the reason why we had done flag up until this year. And, and this will be his first year. I'll be around to help coach it. My dad, was a 40 year high school football coach back in New Jersey, coached me and all my brothers. Like we're going to be very involved and make sure these kids are learning tackle football appropriately, a from an injury prevention standpoint, but also from the experience. If you have a bad, I always say this to all the families. I say, if you have a bad baseball experience, your kid might not learn how to hit a curveball. He might not learn how to field. And next year you put them on a different team and it's no harm, no foul. Same thing with basketball, whatever. If you have a bad football experience, you probably won't go back. No, if you have one of those coaches that, that just kills you, does a lot of dangerous things, doesn't teach you how to tackle, doesn't teach you how to take hits. Doesn't, if you don't learn the game of football at its foundational level, the right way. Yeah. You could get hurt, but you're probably not going to go back because it's, it's not fun to begin with. And if you do it wrong, it's sure as hell not fun. Right. And, and you said it very well on that because the experience can, can deter you from, you know, down the road for sure, because it stays with you again. Kids are more impressionable because they can't, you know, yep. their brain's not developed. And, and But when you have any type of trauma or anything, it stays with you. And like the baseball piece was interesting, too, because I was talking to one of the guys at the Rangers and they were showing all the Tommy Johns across the board, you know, the colder climate kids and the warmer climate. And you can see these big clusters. But he says, we're going to put it this way. You, you have one set of tires in your life. All right, it's 60,000 miles. Do you want to use all those miles up as, as, a, as a youth? That's how I think that was the best way to describe it. <laughs> and, you know, um, I think the other thing is on the youth football is the tackling technique. And, and we even try to teach it here. Uh, and, and, and because, look, if a guy's ducking their head, um, Quan Alexander played for us and and he would always, he would have burners, but he was hitting on the crown of his head. And he goes, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. So those sensors showed him. I said, look where you're hitting. Here's your, here's all your yeah. marks. Yeah, I've been hit and by him before. Realize. And, you know, it, it, it changes everything when your head's up. I mean, it, it's, it changes the whole dynamic of safety and getting your head across. And, and it's just those little simple things that don't, to you, it sounds pretty basic, but 
do these youth coaches know this? Yeah. Well, those are the, those, those are the things that we're going to, those are the things that we're going to do our best to, uh, to kind of get across. I mean, we, we, we've covered so much, Jack, again, appreciate yeah. your time. I feel yeah. like we could do like a four hour episode because oh, yeah. I feel like <laughs> the Marucci story in and of itself, I know we went through it sort of fast and it's yeah. just, I just know we needed to dive into it because yeah. the Marucci brand is that could have been an episode in and of itself. But then I also just yeah. think all of your time and experience and, and, and all these innovative, you know, research projects that you've done studying concussions and eyes and injury prevention and yeah. how to spot who's going to be, you know, who's going to develop into a high level athlete right. and all the, all these areas to me are so relevant to the youth sports experience. Right. And it's, it's even more so for the adults in the room, the parents right. and the coaches to take all of these things into account when you're trying to develop a 10 year old kid or a 12 year old girl or whatever the case may be, because development, understanding the new trends, understanding where the sport is headed. And just because it was done a one way years ago, it not being right hesitant and not being stubborn to that growth and to that. So I just think your voice and your experience and, and the, I mean, you're like a Renaissance man. You're like a modern day Renaissance man. You can make bats, you can rehab, you can rehab ACLs. You can, uh, you can teach people where their eyes don't work. I mean, what it's unbelievable. The things you've accomplished. Yeah. Yeah, I'm working on, uh, I just sent drumsticks to Mick Fleetwood. So that's my next, I'm working on drumsticks. So that's, uh, because of the wood and but i feel like you properties. needed more you needed to do more yeah so i, I, I feel like it made so, sense yeah yeah i'm sure all the other 12 things that you're working on probably weren't keeping you so i don't blame you for diving into music that seems yeah, like an uncharted waters yeah that well, was Jack, that that's so awesome and again i we are to, to have a chance to speak with you and hear firsthand a little bit about the the marucci story and the journey from a shed to a multi-hundred million dollar global brand that every single one of the kids on our teams, my own kid, my garage is filled with all your stuff that has your name on it. So just so you know, I am one of your best customers. So again, Jack, I just appreciate you so much for joining us here on you think your, your story, your expertise, your experience is I think going to be a huge asset and a tool for all of our viewers. And um, I thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you guys so much. Uh, Again, I'm very humbled and, uh, Love what you guys are doing. Thank you so much. Thanks. Good luck to you. And uh, we'll talk soon. Take care. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to You Think. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed some of those stories from from Jack Marucci. I mean, the story of, you know, creating the the wooden bat for his eight-year-old son who really wanted one, but he couldn't find one for his size in the market. And the fact that from that you know, going back in the shed for making that one singular bat that one day would be used by Manny Ramirez in the World Series and just the story of how Marucci, you know, the sports equipment company was founded and created alongside with all of his pioneering work as an athletic trainer at Florida State and LSU and kind of how all that blended together is just a really uh, fascinating, fascinating story. And, and Jack Marucci's a man who's, it feels like he's lived 10 lives. So we're, we're fortunate to to have him take some time to join us here on our latest episode of you think. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, at this time, I'm going to bring in my producer, Tasha, who's going to, as always, she's going to have a few audience questions that we're going to touch on. And, uh, this has become a kind of a highlight. We, we look forward to hearing from you guys on social. We look forward to hearing you guys message us things that you're interested. And so we encourage you guys to continue to do it. So Tasha, first of all, how are you? How was your weekend? I'm doing good. Yeah. I went to visit Syracuse, so that was fun, but I'm back in LA and things are going good. Tasha, I think it's important. I, I think it's time. We've all heard Tasha, Tasha, 
I should give everyone a quick story. You went to Syracuse. Your father, you know, Babers is a longtime college football coach. So you are, you are someone who obviously understands this whole you think world and youth sports and coaching and all that. You, you have a lot of experience in it yourself. Yeah. I, we grew up in the sports world, Greg, even when I visited back home, like last week, you know, there's like recruiting dinners and then you have to help out with recruiting. It's just a whole, the whole college football scene, you know, it's just like ingrained in me, which is fine. I love it. You guys have been sending in tons of fan questions. They've been great. And a few this week, one is from Brendan from Instagram. He says, how many sports do you recommend putting a kid through in the early years for them to experiment? I, I think the simplest way to, to look at it, at least the way we approached it, was try to do a different sport every season. You know, and it doesn't mean every, you know, as, the, as it turns that every season has to be the same sport. If in fall you try football and then the next fall you realize that's not for you and you want to try soccer, or you want to try, you know, something else. Same thing in the spring. You know, especially where we live here in Charlotte, some kids play baseball, some kids play lacrosse, but unless you're exposed to both of them, how do you know which one your son might want? Or if it's your daughter, does she play softball or does she play girls lacrosse, which is very popular in this area as well. So I think when they're young and there's different rec programs, there's different teams, it's almost more of like an experimental part until the kids find what they really connect with and resonate with when they're young, a different sport every season. And if in difference, and as that season comes back around, if it's a different sport that next season, fine. There's no reason that you can't try a sport in the spring, try something next, try something different the next spring, and then realize, you know what? I liked baseball better. Or I liked softball better. I'm going back to what I did two years ago. You're, you're eight, you're nine, you're 10 years old. There's no rush. Find what you like. And the kids will, as we've touched on here, once they connect with a sport that they really want to do, the fear of burnout and the fear of them giving up on it and becoming bored with it. You just don't see it as long as it's a sport that they want to do. And the only way to find that sport is to introduce them to as many different sports as you can um, when they're young and growing up. Do you, do you recommend kids playing multiple sports at a time though? Like I remember I was playing soccer and volleyball at the same time, or do you like, would you rather have them spaced out? Like, I guess, is there too many sports I mean, I a kid can be playing at once? That, that gets tricky. And, and listen, I, we're, we're going to do it this upcoming fall. Um, as I've said before, my, my oldest son is for the first time going to play tackle football, but the baseball team that he's on does a very abbreviated fall season. They're, they're not playing every weekend. They're playing a handful of tournaments throughout the fall. Um, you know, mostly in September and October, and then they're done, but there is a couple, you know, there's a practice or two a week. There's a tournament every few weekends and whatnot, but he's also going to have the full demands of a tackle football season. So this will be our first time really playing two sports. Um, I'll be honest. I'm a little nervous about it. I, my wife and I have kind of talked, you know, during the fall, I'm on the road with Fox calling games. And if, if, if TJ, my younger son's playing with his, you know, his fall baseball season, and then my daughter's playing soccer. And then if Tate is playing, you know, tackle football, which is a, a big, you know, very demanding and time consuming. And then he's also trying to find time to, to stay with his baseball team. That's a lot. That's four sports between the three kids. And, you know, there's only so many, so much time on a Saturday to get all this in. So it's, um, it's a little bit of a concern and we're going to see how it goes for this first year. But yeah, I, I, I would, I, I would ideally like to just keep it one sport per season. Um, but every once in a while, there's kind of situations that you try to make work. And mm. if this is just a complete disaster and it's just too much, then next fall, like I said, we'll reassess and figure out what's, 
what's in the best interest of, of not only the kids, but the whole family. Next question is from Jack also through Instagram. He says, when you started coaching your boys in baseball, did you know anything about baseball or like, did you look up the drills and how did you coach all of these positions? I'm, I've been looking forward to answering this question because I get this question is what I get the most, right? When people see me out on the fields and people ask me like, you spend all this time coaching baseball, like you must have played it at a high level or in college or in at least in high school or travel ball. And the reality is I stopped playing baseball in eighth grade. When I got, when I got to high school in the spring, you know, talking to my dad and my mom, we just thought that playing a full football season, which obviously was the priority and then into a full basketball season and then into a full baseball season, which led into summer, wasn't going to allow me enough time to really prepare in the summer to train and to go to camps and to go to all these different things around football, which was always the priority. Football always took, you know, took, you know, precedence. So we decided that in the spring I was going to do track and field, which would allow me to run and lift and train and not have quite the same, you know, requirements in the schedule that playing baseball would require at the high school level. So I don't have a real baseball background at all. We just started coaching the kids, you know, T-ball when they were five years old and then, you know, six and seven years old, you move into machine pitch. And I've just spent a lot of time around it. It was always in the spring, which when I was playing was my free time, you know, in the fall and the winter, it was hard for me to take the kids to the basketball gym or take them, you know, to, to football, flag football practice. Cause I was, I wasn't around, but in the spring, in the summer, it was time for, for us to make up. So we spent a ton of time at the ball fields, a ton of time watching baseball, a ton of time going to, you know, camps. And we just spent a lot of time playing baseball. So organically, I was around a lot of people who knew a lot about it. I would pick their brains. I would learn on the fly. I would watch what other people were doing. And I just really became interested in learning the game of baseball to be able to help not only my kids, but then the other kids that were on our team and just through that evolution and then into travel ball. And we've just done a lot of it that I've just, I've learned it. I feel I couldn't coach a high school baseball team necessarily. I don't have that, but I feel very confident that any of the other age groups, I could coach a baseball team as good as anybody who's been around it just because I've made it a point to learn it and I mm -hmm. study it and I read up on it. And I listen to when coaches give in, I, I've really become a student of baseball. It's been fun. It's been something new to learn. And as a result, we've had a lot of fun and a lot of success doing it. So parents can coach teams. You don't have to be a professional. You just have to learn about the game. Do some research. You just have to care. Yeah. It, right. Like you just have to care enough to know what you don't know. And be, there's resources out there. There's people you can talk to on today's day and age. I mean, on my Instagram feed is 90%. I'm not talking like random people on Instagram and stealing drills, like really good instructors, really good coaches, people that really break down the game and show you how to teach throwing mechanics and show you how to teach batting mechanics and show you how to teach fielding footwork. I'm, I'm talking like really prominent instructors and coaches that are breaking this down. So you can easily go in there and consume it and process it and make sense of it and go, yeah, that makes right. So there's a learning process like there is anything. And if you care enough to learn, because I take great pride in when people come to my team, like if I'm going to teach your kid to do something, it better be the way their high school coach would teach them hmm. or else I'm doing them. A, I'm doing them a disservice. If you care enough to go out and find the information to learn it, 
it's no different than learning anything else. You don't have to be a baseball player to coach baseball. No different than you don't have to be a football player to coach football. I mean, most NFL football coaches didn't play football at a high level. They've put the time, they have a a passion for it. They have a love for it and an appreciation for it. And they've gone out and they've learned the game through investing their time and their energy and their open-mindedness to learn it. And so learning a different sport than one you didn't play is no different. You know, I can go learn how to, you know, be an auto mechanic, but it doesn't mean, you know I mean? Like you can go learn to be anything if you put the time and, and the effort into it. Greg Olson, the Fox announcer and auto mechanic in the fall. We'll see. Could you imagine? We'll see what happens. I couldn't, I couldn't even change a tire, <laughs> but that doesn't mean one day I couldn't. Maybe one day I'm going to learn. That's right. Instagram. Use Instagram. Use YouTube. Um, that's, you can learn anything on the internet. That's <laughs> true. That's it for all of the audience and fan questions this week and keep sending them in. Um, Greg loves answering them and you can send them through Instagram, TikTok, or Twitter on Greg Olson or at you think. Well, as always, thank you guys so much for listening here on, uh, to you think, uh, please continue to rate review, subscribe wherever you guys get your podcasts. And, uh, until next week, we'll see you guys then.